Oh, what a joy it is to be together this morning. Uh, yesterday, we, we celebrated the life of Ken Goodson right here and uh, just had a, a good time telling stories of, of just a faithful servant of the Lord. Uh, Ken had been shut in for about six years, uh, five or six years, and then he uh, went to be with the Lord uh, back in uh, November, December. So we were grateful to be able to celebrate his life yesterday, uh, just reminded of the brevity of our lives. Uh, they're gone, just like that, right? Gone. Um, but what we've sung about this morning should give us hope that even though this life is brief, there's hope in an eternal life in Christ Jesus. We've sang about it this morning. We, we have a life in Christ, the wonderful cross. It was finished at the cross. Man, I hope you were encouraged as we were singing together, as, you, as we were hearing one another's voices. Um, hope you were encouraged, spurred on by one another, but also encouraged to worship God through song this morning. Today, we wrap up our series on the attributes of God. Over the last two weeks, we've been looking at Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And we, we've been able to see that our, our God, as he is in front of Moses... He declares who he is to him. He says, I'm a, I'm a God who is merciful and gracious. I'm a God who is slow to anger. I'm a God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then he says, I'm a God who forgives. I'm a God who forgives. So today we're going to be looking at, at our forgiving God, a God who forgives. Over the past three weeks, including today, We've really emphasized this idea of knowing God. And we can know God because he's revealed himself to us. One of my favorite books is called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And what he does in the first few pages of that book is he actually contrasts knowing God with knowing about God. Right? We live in the South. We live in the Bible Belt. There are a lot of people who know about God. There's a lot of people who know about God sitting in our pews. They know about God, yet they don't know God. And the reason I say that is because if you know God, your day-to-day -day life has to change. It has to change. Unfortunately for many of us, many of those who proclaim to know Jesus... They actually live a, a rather atheistic life throughout the week, right? They don't, they don't acknowledge God in their work, in their time with their families, in their play. They live as if God does not exist or he only exists on Sunday mornings from 11 to 12, 10, 32, 12, whenever you meet, right? But we want to know God. And we want that to impact our lives from when we wake up in the morning to when we lay our head down at night. We want to know God. Packer, in his book, he says there's evidences of knowing God in someone's life. There's evidences of knowing God. He gives us four. He says those who know God have great energy for God. Great energy for God. Those who know God have great thoughts of God. 
Do you think about God during the day? Do you have great thoughts about God? Right, last week Eric preached on God's abounding, God is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he, I remember him saying something that, that kind of just shook my mind, right? His, his, that steadfast love, like it's, it's unfathomable, right? It can, we, could, we could spend eternity thinking on it. Those who know God have great thoughts of God. Three, those who know God show great boldness for God. We have a great opportunity this Saturday to show great boldness for God. If you know God, we're going to show great boldness for God. And those who know God have great contentment in God. Isn't that, man, that is encouraging, right? Those who know God have great contentment in God. We need great contentment in God. There's things in this world that cause anxiety, cause worry. There's, there's sickness, there's death. But those who know God have great contentment in God. There's job loss. There's loss of relationships. Those who know God have great contentment in God. Are these true in your life? Great energy, great thoughts, great boldness, great contentment. Do you know about God or do you know God? As we've seen in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God reveals himself to Moses. Moses says, God, God, would you, would you just let your glory pass before me? And God says, yeah, I, I'll, I'll pass my goodness. I'll show you my goodness. Because he knows if, if, if Moses sees his full glory, he'll die. So God covers him, and he allows him to see the back of God, but he allows him to hear who God is. And in hearing who God is, right, what does Moses do in Exodus 34, verse 8? He worships God. He worships because he's now seen and heard from the true God, Yahweh, the great I Am. He, he sees and he hears from him, and his only response is worship. That should be our response. I pray that over the last three weeks, knowing God, seeing God in the text, has led to worship in our lives. And that's been our big idea the past three weeks. God reveals himself so we can know him and worship him. So that we can know him and worship him. I'm going to read Exodus 34, 6 and 7 again. Actually, 6 through 8. Uh, and then I'm going to pray. Exodus 34, 6 through 8. says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. He worshiped. Father, now we, we pray. Pray that we would worship. Yes, we've, we've worshiped through song. We've worshiped through the reading of the word over us this morning. We have worshiped through prayer. Father, now as, as the word is proclaimed, preached, would you reveal yourself to us? Would your, would your spirit blow among us? 
convicting of sin, but revealing who you are. And may our response be worship. May we worship in spirit and in truth. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. The past two weeks, we've been introduced so far to God's mercy, his grace, his patience, slowness to anger, his love, and his faithfulness. Today, in verse 7, we see God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. God is a forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. But I think stating that God's forgiveness, God forgives, I think that begs the question, what is he forgiving? Or another way of phrasing that is, why do we need forgiveness? Why? Some, or verse 7, verse 7 tells us he forgives iniquity, wrongdoing, transgression, rebellion, and sin, moral failure, or disobedience. Some of you may be sitting, sitting there thinking, I'm not really in need of forgiveness. I'm a good person. And then, and then others may be sitting there going, my sin is too great for God to forgive. My prayer for us today is that we would allow the word to do its work in our lives and it would change our minds. That yes, you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. And yes, you may be a great sinner, but we have a greater savior. So that's my hope today is that the word would change your mind if you're sitting there thinking either of those thoughts. Our God is a forgiving God. So as we've done with the, with the last few attributes, we're going to ask three questions around these attributes, around forgiveness. <clears throat> Where do we see God's forgiveness in the Old Testament? That's our first question. Our second question is, how do we see this displayed in Christ's life? And then our third question we're going to ask is, how can we be conduits of this attribute? So the first question, where do we see God's forgiveness on display in the Old Testament. First, as, as I was reading, you may have noticed that we see a contrast in verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 34, it says that he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, but, right, he forgives, but he will by no means clear the guilty. So, so which is it, <laughs> Right? God, do you forgive or, or, or do, you, do you not clear the guilty of their iniquity, of their transgression? Which is it? Well, it's, it's both. It's both. Who does God forgive? Who does he not forgive? As we work through these three questions, I think it will become, become apparent who God forgives. You see, in the beginning, in Genesis 3, sin entered the world through Adam. He, he disobeyed God's command. Adam, you can have anything you want in this garden, but don't eat from that tree. Don't eat from that tree, because then the moment you eat from that tree, you will surely die. What did they do? Adam and Eve ate from the tree, and he ruined it for the rest of humanity. <laughs> he ruined it for us. Paradise, we would have done the same, I believe. Ruined the rest of humanity. 
through Adam's sin, we've all been born into sin. You see, God's, God's grace was in that moment, though. Because, yes, Adam died spiritually, but God didn't kill him physically. God cast him out of the garden so that he wouldn't, really, he wouldn't live forever in that sinful state. But that he would repent and believe. We see this happening as well in Cain killing Abel. We see Lamech boasting about killing men. We see in Judges that the world was doing what was right in their own eyes. We see the Israelites worshiping false gods and doing whatever their hearts desired. From early on, from early on in the text, we see that man is sinful. We can also see this in our lives. From a from a toddler saying, mine, 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 or throwing a temper tantrum. From a teenager, high schooler cheating on a test, just looking over to see if it's A, B, C, or D. To maybe you just got your first job and you're like, whoa, that's a lot of taxes I got to pay. So, you know, fudging that a little bit. We see this in our lives. If I'm honest with myself, if you're honest with yourself, I, I, I think we, can, we would agree that our hearts and our minds can think some pretty wicked things. We can, maybe we don't act on those things, but we can think on some pretty wicked things because our heart is wicked. In light of the brokenness of our world, right, it's a broken world. And the brokenness in each of us, our text says, God forgives. God forgives. So who does he forgive? Who does he forgive? In Joel 2, 12 and 13, I didn't put these up. I'll just, I'll just read them real quick. In Joel 2, 12 and 13, this is where we see it in the Old Testament. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster, right? He'll forgive. Jonah 3, 10 to 4, 2. This is where Jonah ran away because he knows who God is. This is what it says. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Listen to Jonah's response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He was mad that God relented that God forgave, that God sustained. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's, what I, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. <laughs> so who does God forgive? Well, Joel and Jonah show us that God forgives the guilty who turn from their sin and turn to God with their whole heart. And the guilty who spurn his offer of mercy, he will by no means clear. That's what our text says. Those who turn from sin and turn to God receive his forgiveness. So let's see this in David's life. Let's see this in David's life. In Psalm 51, David, this is after he has committed adultery with Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets pregnant. 
Then he goes and kills her son, her, her, her husband. He murders. He's an adulterous murderer. But his hope is, is in something else. His hope is in a God who forgives. Listen to his words in Psalm 51. This is in response to being called out by Nathan the prophet for his sin. And this is David's response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. See the forgiveness there? Blot out, wash me, cleanse me. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He is crying out to God. Hide your face from my iniquities, my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, we see the missional thrust here, then, in light of what you've done in my life, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David's hope was in a God who would forgive his sin. In a God who could make him new. He that was his only hope. Against you, you only have I sinned, is what David cries out. No, David, you sinned against Bathsheba and you sinned against her, her husband. Against you, you only have I sinned. He calls out to God, God, would you blot out my transgressions? God, would you wash me? Would you cleanse me? Would you give me a new heart, a new spirit? We see God forgiving David here. We see God forgiving sin throughout the Old Testament, passing over it until, until it could be fully forgiven through the final sacrifice. The final sacrifice. So how do we or do we see this in Jesus? Where do we see this attribute in Jesus? In John 8, 1 through 11, we see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and then this lady and this is what John tells us. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. 
and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they, did, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as he continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he, he bent down and, and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. You see, Jesus here, he is tested by the scribes and Pharisees. He's sitting there, he's teaching a crowd, and they come, they drag this woman whom I'm assuming, right, if you're caught in the act of adultery, that probably means either a husband walked in or this lady was set up. They, they drag her into Jesus and says, Jesus, the law says this. This woman should be stoned. Well, Jesus, he, he, he kind of throws it back at them, right? He says, I tell you what. He bends down. He starts writing on the road. I tell you what. Whoever, you know, if, if one of you is holy enough, if one of you is holy enough to stone her, go ahead and throw that first stone. <laughs> he, he bends back down. He starts writing in the sand again. I have no idea what he was writing. A lot of people have suggested things. One was he was writing the ladies' names that the Pharisees were committing adultery with. I don't know. But they, they got out of there pretty quickly, right? Starting with the oldest and then the youngest. They got out of there. Jesus is sitting there writing in the sand. And he, he stands up and he says, where are they? they're gone, they're gone. He says, I don't condemn you either. But he did say, he doesn't say, keep living your life. He, doesn't, he, he didn't say that. He says, go and sin no more. You see, meeting Jesus, finding forgiveness in Jesus radically changes our lives. Go and sin no more. Again, he, in Mark 2, y'all know this story because it's a, it's a good one. In Mark 2, some friends take their paralytic their paralytic friend, and they're trying to get him to Jesus, and, they're, and it's so crowded that they can't get him through the front door, so they actually, like, dig a hole in the roof, start pulling back stuff, and, and they lower him down in front of Jesus, and Jesus looks at this paralytic man, man, knowing that he can't walk. He's lame. Can't walk. He says, son, your, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Who can forgive sin? These stories are told. These these stories happened so that the people would be thinking, who can forgive sin but God alone? It's either Jesus is God or, or Jesus is a blasphemer. We know Jesus is God because everything he said came to pass. Jesus can forgive sin because he is God. And because of the song we just sang, it is finished upon the cross. He says it is finished. At the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself so that we would not suffer the punishment for our sin. Our sin deserves wrath. The righteous anger of God should be poured out on each and every one of us. Our sin deserves death. We should die and spend eternity separated from a loving father because of our sin. Has Jesus taken your sin? The great exchange 
Jesus' righteousness for our sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Exchanged. Exchanged. Has Jesus taken your sin? Have you gone to him confessing your sin, finding forgiveness? Today is the day for you to find forgiveness. Trust Jesus and his finished work. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He was the propitiation of God's wrath. He exhausted God's wrath for us. He was raised three days later. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Forgiveness is granted to those who confess their sin and trust Christ Jesus. If you think your sin is too bad or you're not a sinner in need of forgiveness, I challenge you to look at the cross. Because there he took your sin. He took your sin. And forgiveness is granted to those who desire it. My hope this morning is that you would turn from your sin and trust in Christ Jesus. If you need to talk to someone about this, I'll be down here after the service. Find one of our other pastors. Find a friend that you came with and talk with them about coming into the kingdom of God. It's through repentance and belief. And this is the beauty of understanding forgiveness, of being forgiven. As those who have been forgiven, we are now to be conduits of that forgiveness. How are we to be a conduit of forgiveness? Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Peter is coming up to Jesus, and he says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And Peter's probably thinking right here, he's probably thinking, I'm about to get some brownie points with Jesus. As many as seven times, (laughs) Jesus says to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times, right? An infinite number. Look at your forgiveness. Look at how much God has forgiven you and forgive the same. This is hard. This is hard. Especially when that same person has hurt you so many times. Show forgiveness. Forgive. Forgive. Colossians 3.13, which Josiah read for us earlier. Within that, Paul is is telling us to to put off and put on, put off these worldly things and, and put on Christ. And then in verse 13, he says, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How so? How? How do we forgive? Well, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We are conduits of forgiveness, church. We should be the most forgiving people in all the world. If someone hurt you 40 years ago and you've not forgiven them, shame on you. You need to forgive if you're a follower of Christ Jesus. If, if right now in your, in your marriage <clears throat> there's, there's forgiveness that needs to happen and you're sitting there in bitterness and in anger or apathy. Think about your forgiveness that God has poured out on you in Christ Jesus and forgive. Forgive. 1 John 1, 9. 
This is, just a, this, is, this, is, this is just for us each and every day. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? He is so faithful to forgive. All we do is confess our sins, and he's faithful to forgive us our sins. Repentance is a daily act in the life of the believer. Continuing to, to go through this life, we're going to sin. We're going to sin against one another. We're going to sin against God. We're going we're, we're to do things in the moment that we were just like, man, what is going on? But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, that we would be a church that forgives one another. This summer, we're going to be working through a book called Life Together. Um, in, in men's time and in women's time, we're going to be working through this book and and Bonhoeffer, <clears throat> he actually writes a whole section on forgiving one another. So this will be a good practice for us this summer, but let's not wait till the summer. Let's, let's start now, forgiving one another. So in our chart, in our chart on the attributes of God in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, <clears throat> we, had, we had listed six, but it's 1151. So I think we need one bonus attribute today. Is that all right? Everybody go with that? One bonus attribute. Within this text, we already mentioned it. He says, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Right? Our God is a forgiving God. He is, and it, it is freely given to those who will repent of their sins, who will turn to him, but he's also a just God. He is a just God. You know, the justice of God, the justice of God is tough. Because in an in a ideal world, as, as humanity, we would love to think and be able to affirm that everyone, everyone will be saved. Right? That, that seems like the most loving thing to do most loving thing to say. Ah, no worries. When you die, you'll be saved. But our God is a holy and righteous God. He cannot be in the presence of sin. The only way your sin is taken away is through repentance and belief in Christ Jesus. So for those who stand guilty, yes, we stand guilty but when God looks at us, he sees his son and his righteousness if you're a follower of Christ. But for those who are not, you stand guilty before a holy and righteous God. And he would be unrighteous if he said, come into my presence. Because then he would be tainted with sin. God's justice is seen in this passage. I really appreciated Eugene Peterson's translation of this, this verse. This is what he says. He says, still, he doesn't ignore sin. He holds sons and grandsons responsible for a father's sins to the third and even fourth generation. I know that sounds weird, right? Why am I accountable for my father's sins? One, one commentator put it like this. It does not mean that God would punish children and grand grandchildren for something their ancestors did, but that they themselves did not do. Rather, it describes God's just punishment of a given type of sin in each new generation 
as that sin continues to be repeated down through the generations, right? A father passes on that sin to a son, and a son passes on that sin to a grandson, right? If we never turn and repent of that sin. In other words, God here reminded his people that they could not rightly think something like, we can probably get away with doing this in our generation because God punished an earlier generation for doing it. So the punishment for it has already been given and we don't have to worry about it, right? That's not, that's not what God is saying. God is saying the guilty will be punished. The guilty will be punished. God is a just God, right? When we read through these attributes, we, we probably would like to stop with the ones that, that make us feel good. Merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving. But as we began this series, we said that God is, is preaching a sermon about himself. He's preaching a sermon about himself, and he doesn't stop after forgiveness. So we can't stop there. God concluded his sermon on the divine attributes by making a strong affirmation of his justice. And I understand this is, this is something that makes people feel uncomfortable. We, we definitely prefer to talk about God's love and grace. But that's not all that God is. He's a holy and just God. God does not let sin go unpunished. He's righteous. I want to encourage you, because we're not going to answer the three questions here. I want to encourage you this week, a little homework little homework. I know it's summer. A little homework. I would encourage you, as you have time this week, to think on the justice of God and answer those three questions. You can use the grid that we have. You, you got it back there, or you've taken one the last couple weeks. But answer those questions. Where do we see God's justice in the Old Testament? Where do we see it? One of them is, is the flood. Oh, that's a bonus. Where do we see God's justice in the Old Testament? Where does, where does Jesus exemplify this attribute? And then how are we to be conduits of justice? Exodus 34, 6 and 7. says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a, merciful, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will, but will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. May we be a people who truly know God. He's revealed himself in his scriptures. Let's not just know about him. Let's truly know him and let's allow that, that God is a merciful God that God is a gracious God, that God is a steadfast, loving God, a faithful God, a forgiving God, a just God, may that lead to worship him for who he is. Let us truly worship him. Just as Moses in verse eight, quickly, quickly bowed his head toward the earth in worship, may we do the same today. I wanna encourage us now to continue worshiping through corporate prayer.
Let's, let's find two or three to pray with. Just turn around and let's pray and thank God for his forgiveness and his justice.